Welcome, everyone, to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I hope that you all are well. You are maintaining social distancing and safety measures for yourself and your loved ones. Uh, This is Books in the Time of Corona, a very difficult time right now to tell you all about new books that have been releasing and the wonderful writers who put them together. But today I'm back with a friend of mine, Reese Hirsch, who has been a guest here on this show before. He has a new book that just released on May 12th called Dark Tomorrow. But first, let me tell you just a teeny bit about Reese in case you don't know who he is. He is the author of six thrillers that draw upon his background as a privacy attorney. So Black Nowhere and Dark Tomorrow, which are Thomas and Mercer books, um, feature special agent Lisa Tanchik, who uh, investigates cybercrime. His first book, The Insider, was a finalist for the 2011 International Thriller Writers Award for Best First Novel. And by the way, that's a really high praise. The best writers in the world are uh, compete in that category, and there are only five nominees. Um, his other three books, The Adversary, Intrusion, and Surveillance, all feature a former Department of Justice cybercrimes prosecutor named Chris Bruin. Um, uh, Reese is actually a partner in a San Francisco office of an international law firm and co-chair of its privacy and cybersecurity practice, so he knows what he's talking about. And by the by... He's listed as one of the best, America's best liars in business by Chambers USA. So he really knows this stuff. I'm really glad you're back with me, Reese. Welcome back to Authors on the Air. It's great to be back, Pam. Thanks a lot. So this is an interesting time to be writing about cybersecurity and privacy measures and so on. I had been thinking about this when I was reading your book that, so many people are now using um, Zoom and other Facebook Live and other types of social media just to chat with friends and to talk about uh, their uh, their books. And I also noticed that there are a lot of ads now for phone apps that will help you with your credit card scores and how you can pay bills on you know online through a phone app which begged the question how secure are things like that and is that something you'd ever do well um yeah that's something i deal with in my privacy law practice all the time and uh, it's difficult because if you're you know a, a major business you know it it's possible to have pretty good security <laughs> But there's so many little devices now that are connected to the Internet and so many apps that we use that um, there are always going to be vulnerabilities if you're a, a reasonably connected person. And you know, I touch upon that a little bit in my book because you know, one of the threats involves you know, this um, company that, that maintains you know, a, a large number of apps for people, and we sort of look inside one of those places and learn how much information they have about individuals, their location at any given time, you know, how many times all the little apps on your phone check in with these hosting services. And it's right. pretty scary. They have a pretty good picture of everything you do. So it's interesting to me two things. One, that the U.K. has outlawed the use uh, for Google to sell 
information about its users, that they're not allowed to do that anymore. And, and although they do here in the States, all the big social media companies and web browsers are still allowed to do that. And the other thing is um, uh, now with people staying home or afraid to go to doctors, um, and I think health privacy is one of the things that is your specialty, um, there's now telemedicine. And even though I've had a patient portal for all of my doctors here in Southwest Florida and the um, out, you know, the outpatient diagnostic places that I go to, so everybody's interconnected, just how safe are those things? Well, you know, like anything, they, they are vulnerable, but, um, you know, like you say, healthcare privacy is a particular specialty of mine. And right. during the pandemic, the HIPAA regulators at the Office for Civil Rights and the Department of Health and Human Services have lowered the standard for telehealth a little bit because they've specifically said that they won't try to enforce HIPAA violations if you're using FaceTime or, you know, or other you know, everyday communication technologies to provide healthcare services, um, as long as they're not sort of public-facing. And I thought it was interesting. The regulators said you you shouldn't use TikTok to provide healthcare advice, yeah. since that's mainly for dance videos. I think I thought right. that was a little a little incongruous. It's a little strange. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a little strange. Unless you know your doctor's dancing around to make you feel good, or you're dancing around to show your doctor you're healthy. I'm really not sure how that would be relevant. Um, I'm not a real tech savvy, even though this is a a virtual studio that I'm in. And it's internet radio. And I find that for myself, um, I, I find myself still getting spammed from all these places that, you know, want me to get gift cards from Walmart or, you know, free wine if I purchase a bottle and things like that. And I just wonder, is that because my information has been sold or marketed off one of the big browsers? Um, almost certainly, yes, because uh, you know it's it's important to read those privacy policies, but but no one really does, or it's it's hard to read them all. But uh, but in California, there's a new consumer privacy law called the California Consumer Privacy Act, which gives you the right to opt out of the sale of your personal information. So there are a lot of new rights <clears throat> under that law, which is going to be enforced starting on July one, and. Uh, so you have a little more a little more control, but not a lot. Do you think that I mean I love that law and I've been following it and um do you think that that will be overturned by a higher court? No, I don't think in, so. Yeah, I, it, I think it's state, Can a state regulate that, by the way? Um yes, states are uh, entitled to pass uh, privacy laws like that, you know, and it's it sort of um, prompted more discussion about having a comprehensive federal privacy law in the U.S., which we don't have. You know, I think right. it would make a lot of sense because if other states start doing things like the CCPA, it's going to become really, really complicated for businesses to operate. But um, but right now, as usual, California is the the cutting edge of regulation. Yes, they are. So. So you said it'd be harder for big businesses to operate. Do you mean it cuts into their profit? Well, you know, I think 
you know, privacy regulation is certainly reasonable in granting these consumer privacy rights, but businesses just need to be able to understand what the rules are. And if you have a lot of different states that have these complex regulatory frameworks right. like the CCPA, it just becomes hard to apply, you know, different rules in different states. Right, right. That's I understand why a federal that. privacy law makes a lot of sense. In your work, in the type of work that you do, are you involved in any way, shape, or form with the FBI? Um, it, yes, that does happen from time to time because um, I often advise companies that have experienced a security breach, and uh, often that involves criminal activity, in which case the company needs to uh, interact with law enforcement, which is often the FBI, in uh, pursuing the the perpetrators. So the the reason I ask is because um, you brought Lisa back for this book, and she is the cyber expert for the FBI. But this story is a very, very this story has a lot of twisty, turny, interesting things going on that you have to pay attention, otherwise you're not going to get it. It, it's so good, and and I love techno thriller stuff. So that's my first love: spies, espionage, and techno thrillers. And it seems to me this book has just about a little bit of everything. So um, <laughs> thank you so much, Pam. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, no, no, it, it's true. I, I love it, and um, and it's an especially good book to read right now while we're we're kind of getting information. First, with with um, the upcoming elections, as they were the last elections we had, but also um, with coronavirus, we're being bombarded by lots of things from foreign entities that are disruptors. And so, um, but yours is on a grander scale. Will you tell basically the story of Dark Tomorrow? Very fitting title, by the way. I love the title. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's basically um, you know, Lisa Tanchik, the FBI agent who investigates cyber crimes, starts by investigating a hacker who uses a type of strobe attachment. And this is a real thing that people who have epilepsy can be victimized <clears throat> by these right. kinds of attachments because you click on it, a powerful strobe goes off in your face, and that can induce an epileptic seizure. So... <clears throat> that happens to uh, in chapter one of Dark Tomorrow, and at first she thinks this is just, you know, a, a very malicious hacker who uh, has, you know, you know, uncertain motives. But it turns out that really uh, the person who was the victim of that strobe was you know, an analyst for U.S. Cyber Command, the agency that protects the nation from cyber threats, and that that murder was basically part of the first wave of this comprehensive attack on the U.S. Uh, that shuts down the East Coast and, and throws everything into darkness, disrupts public transportation, uh, just you know, every system imaginable. And, and when sure. I came up with that plot, I thought I had invented kind of the worst case scenario. But of course, uh, reality did me one better and with yeah. the coronavirus. But I've been surprised right. how many readers are saying that the novel seems timely to them because you know it also deals with 
you know, a, a U.S. in lockdown and where people are thrown into a very uncertain time that affects, you know, everyone and everything. And sure. so in that way, it's, it's kind of a pandemic type novel or a novel. Well, it certainly can lead to a pandemic. There's no, no joking about that. Um, cyber war is something that has become part of our lexicon over the past 10 years. Maybe even the past five years would be a better time frame for it. Um, what's your thought when you say the U.S. Com- cyber Security Command? I wonder, is that an oxymoron? Uh, because um, we really are under cyber attack all the time from from other uh, nation states, aren't we? Um, that's very true. And you know, frankly, um, you know, cyber warfare is not something I deal with in my privacy practice. Right. So I had to do a good bit of research on this one. And one thing that you know I came away with was the understanding that that these things are happening constantly between nation states. Uh, it's just everyone has sort of tacitly agreed to keep the meddling and attacks at a low level, uh, something that wouldn't rise to the level of a full-scale, you know, attack. And my right. book posits, you know, what would happen if, for various reasons, things got out of hand, and you know, uh, you know, an enemy used all of their resources to right. attack another, the U.S. When when a cyber attack occurs, that that disrupts every supply chain there is, doesn't it? Right, right. You know, I was um, happened to be in New York City during uh, Hurricane Sandy, and you know, staying in a hotel in you know dark city, and it was surprising to me, you know, how quickly things started shutting down when the supply chains went. You know, how quickly yep. the stores ran out of food and the gas stations ran out of gas, and and uh, you know, civilization goes south in a hurry when these types sure of things does. happen. It sure does. I've lived in uh, Florida all my life. I grew up in Miami. And so it's interesting that you mentioned Hurricane Sandy because um, the first hurricane or tropical disturbance in the Atlantic formed a few weeks ago and fortunately veered off to the the east. So it didn't bother us, although hurricane season is normally between June 1st and December 1st. And I thought while I was doing my shopping – that I might my pandemic shopping, not knowing if supply chains were going to be interrupted, and as you know, they were at first. You know, grocery stores were empty of toilet paper, of wipes, right. of alcohol, of all those kind of things. But um, I also thought, you know, I kind of am happy that I have the experience of going without electricity and stores and a food supply for many weeks on end having lived through every hurricane that ever blew through Florida since the day I was born. So, um, you know, in that way, it's, it, it kind of steals you. I always thought this, the country would fall apart because of a weather, weather pandemic, not a viral pandemic, but um, a weather event. So um, it, it was just interesting to me, the overlapping themes there. You're, right, you all are um, battle tested in Florida. Well, we are kind of battle tested in Louisiana. I think the same way, you know, those of us who've gone through and certainly people in the zones out in California, 
you know, or earthquake on a fault line someplace. Although those even have even happened here in Florida, small ones, surprisingly enough. But, um, you know, those, those of us who are in the, in the way of Mother Nature at times kind of know how to prep a little bit better than someone who is not. But um, I want to get back to Dark Tomorrow because one of the things that I noticed, and I, I don't know if this was intentional, I'm sure it was, you have a lot of little different plots going on all the time. There is something going on, and you're introducing character after character. The story becomes very layered, and so you've got to pay attention in this book to know who all the actors are in this particular show. So my question to you is when you're writing a, this detailed of a story, do you have to keep um, ch- track of what your characters are doing and who they are and how they're interacting? Or is that part of the process for you that you do organically? Well, you know, I'm not somebody who um, – plots everything out, you know, to the nth degree, but, sure. uh, but I do know, you know, basically where I'm headed and what I plan to do with certain characters. Um, although, you know, sometimes the best surprises come along at the, at the last minute, for example, sure. I, I, I sort of had ended my book and I thought I'd ended it. And then I came up with the last chapter, which, uh, that sort of was a surprise to me, not, not part of the plan. It was a really good last chapter, too, oh, by thank the way. You. <laughs> yeah. I love those times when you think the story is wrapped and then, oh, my God, have you got a surprise? There's one more chapter and everything changes again. That, that's, uh, as a reader, that's very, very exciting to me, and it makes the book all the more memorable. Um, where did you get the idea to write about this strong female FBI agent? Well, you know, I, I think it's uh... – I wanted somebody who um, you know, faced some challenges in the workplace, and I, I imagined you know, what it might be like to be a cybercrimes investigator at the FBI, and I was happy to learn that a lot of the things that I thought might happen to a person like that actually do happen, um, mainly that you know, you're dealing with people who are not your traditional law enforcement types, who are not right. uh, maybe, you know, big physical people who are very comfortable handling a gun. And, that, and that's who Lisa is. She's a, a computer geek who has technical right. skills. So she's kind of a different sort of crime fighter. And, um, you know, in, in Black Nowhere, you know, she's sort of trying to win acceptance and show that you know, she can really lead an investigation and play an important role. And so she's sort of proving herself. And I thought that, uh, as well as being a woman in the FBI, so I, I right. wanted uh, her to have some challenges to overcome. But, you know, in the end, Reese, um, don't the guys try to get ahead in the same way? I mean, doesn't, don't all people in their jobs say, I've got to prove myself so that I can move forward? That's true. That is, it's a universal thing that, uh, you know, Everyone starts somewhere and has to prove themselves, particularly right. in uh, a job like law enforcement where the stakes can yes. be so high. Yes, exactly. So um, how has your writing changed your, your real life? How has writing Lisa and these other characters changed Reese Hirsch? 
Well, you know, I think uh, there's kind of an ebb and flow, which is nice for me between my legal practice and uh, and my writing, because I encounter you know these somewhat scary issues you know that my clients face, and then I tend to you know imagine them you know uh, take them a few steps further at a body count and, uh, and sort of take them to their logical extremes in my fiction and so you know one sort of feeds off the other but uh, it's been you know a real pleasure to get to write six books and get them out there in the world and you know build a little readership and people who uh, you know who hopefully you know have fun and also learn a few things about the way technology works. Because in well, Dark Tomorrow in particular, I kind of throw the kitchen sink at Lisa because or basically everything goes wrong that could possibly go wrong. And so it's sort of a, a, a lesson in, in how technology can jeopardize us. So I want to talk about some of your reviews. PW was very impressed. Hope, they said hopefully – Lisa Tanchik will be back soon. But also one of my friends who who is one of the best um, post-apocalyptic writers I know, Steve Conkley, just raved about it. He thought it was great. Um, and, and I agree that it is. Um, and, of course, the list goes on and on and on of, of your colleagues and your, your um, contemporaries who also agree that it's a fabulous book. And I think that's great. Um, as a matter of fact, in another review, PW says a brisk, prog- progress, um, provocative series launch, which I guess is from the first book, which is mm-hmm. wonderful. So you've gotten a lot of great reviews. Your readers really like it a lot. Um, as a matter of fact, when I was reading through the the reviews, one of them was really long and almost gave away all the story. And I thought, I'm so glad I read the book first. You know, right. <laughs> but but um, I appreciate so, the enthusiasm, but uh, yeah, maybe a few, not, not quite so many spoilers would be good. Right? Don't don't give the whole farm away here. You know, let us read it and figure it out. Um, so I want to talk to you about being a published author with one of the biggest imprints in, in the world, Thomas and Mercer, which for those of you who don't know is the print imprint owned by Amazon. Um, how do you think this pandemic is changing the way people are going to be reading and the way publishing is going to be? Well, you know, uh, I uh, I just read some of the the articles about trends in the industry. I can't claim to be an expert, although I certainly have a a, a strong interest in in how it goes. And sure. I, I think that um, I think eBooks are probably going to be you know as popular as ever because you know hopefully people have a little more time to read, but hopefully they they also you know, are able to get back to work and on with their lives too. But um, I've heard. You know, a little surprisingly, that um, that uh, physical books have been selling well too during this time. So, you know, I, I really uh, hope that independent bookstores can can weather this. And and uh, you know, I know that a lot of benefits are being conducted, and and uh, you know, they're they're trying to to you know you know have sales nonetheless. But but right. you know, the world is going to be a different place when this is all over. And I sure hope sure. Uh, in the Bookstore, independent bookstores are a big part of that. 
You know, I, I, as I scroll through social media, I see a lot of independent bookstores that are constantly sending out books to their regular customers. And I think that's really important. And I'm also glad to see that so many writers are saying, please go to an indie bookstore. Listen, I like all bookstores. I don't care if it's Barnes and Noble or Books a Million, or I don't even care if it's a used bookstore. If it has you know, words on pages that are bound together, I'm going to go there and look and buy stuff I, because I love reading so much. But um, my concern about all this is that people who just read a normal amount of books, like a book a month, will not be able to afford it. And that scares me. I, I want people to still read and still remember that books are a great way to get out of your own space. Right. I mean, and, uh, you know, a lot of other modes of entertainment aren't available to us, but, uh, you know, fortunately, you know, books are. And, you know, I think there's still a, a great entertainment value for their price. And uh, oh, certainly ebooks have become, you know, very economical in recent years. This is true. So well, I want to ask you what is your biggest joy? Is it starting the book or finishing the book? Well, th that's a good question because you know I'm about to I'm really getting underway with a, a new book and and before you really get into the thick of it, you've got this notion of a book in your head and it's perfect and you think of oh, all these things you can do with it, all the possibilities, and uh, inevitably, you know, the book is going to disappoint you a little bit, <laughs> particularly when you're in the <laughs> middle of it, trying to you know get a first draft done. But but then there are also you know going to be surprises that you never would have expected, but um, but I would say the perfect moment is before you've ever put pen to paper. Yeah, it's book, writing a book is a struggle, and I, I love doing it, and I've done it several times now, but it never gets easier. Yeah, I guess. I, well, I didn't think it was easy. Um, you know, I, I, I admire writers so much. I cannot. I am not a writer for sure. You know, if I send you an email and all the words are spelled correctly, I consider it a good day. I mean, that's a gold star day for me. But, <laughs> but and if I haven't left off words, which I do all the time. Um, so when someone asks you what you do, and by the way, do your partners know what you do on your side job? <laughs> your creative um, job. They do. There was, before I was a published writer, you know, I uh, I kept a lid on it and I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. But but now I'm very open about it, and uh, it's interesting when I'm you know meeting a new client or you know I'm maybe pitching for business at a new client. They may Google uh -huh. me, and of course they'll turn up my author website and the books, and right. then that ends up being one of the first things we talk about. It's sort of a icebreaker. That's so, a great uh, icebreaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's it fun, is. particularly since you know my uh, books deal with privacy, like my practice does. But uh, right. but yeah, I I I now I am uh, unapologetic about it. I, I tell, <laughs> I let everybody know. Good for you. Should be proud of your work. It's very very good. Um, whose book are you reading right now? Well, I just finished uh, Pretty as a Picture by Elizabeth Little, and I really enjoyed that a lot. It was a really, it was a fun, light book, which I think 
suits our times pretty well. And it's a little bit of a locked room mystery. And it's also good for um, people who are film buffs, like I, I sort of am. Are you really? Um, I haven't been to a film in so long. I actually had to go on my laptop to watch the last Star Wars film, <laughs> which is pretty sad when I ha- when I tell you I have a tiny little laptop. You know, I work on a Chromebook. Um, <laughs> uh, whose book will you read more than once? Well, um, you know, there there are a few books that that are kind of my sort of prototypes for thrillers. You know, one that I, I like to come back to is it's called. Um, Dog Soldiers by Robert Stone, and yeah. it's it's yeah it's sort of a Vietnam era book, but it's it's a fast paced thriller that I think you know really says a lot about uh, yeah the the aftermath of Vietnam. So for me, it always represents how much you can do with a fast paced thriller. You know that it you can really convey a lot and and uh, and also have a pretty gripping tale as well. Do you read outside of the thriller and mystery genre? Um, yeah, I do. I do. And I wish I had more time to read because uh, I've got a pretty demanding job that also involves a lot of reading of dull regulations. But mm-hmm. but I um, I read uh, Normal People by Sally Rooney recently, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, that's very far from a thriller, but I, I just thought it was great. Yeah. It's been on the best-selling list for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, Reese. Has being a lawyer and training as an attorney, has that helped your writing or has writing helped you in your law practice or both? Um, I think that um, as a lawyer, you have to be a clear communicator. But uh, as far as writing style, um, not so much because – in in legal practice, drafting a contract or a memo, the emphasis is being on acutely clear, and that often means you know putting in a lot of words that are uh, you know just stumbling blocks for fiction, like you know the the whereases and the none nonetheless sure. and, and right. including but not limited tos. So you know I have to unlearn some of that that you know writing uh, that legal writing. Skill, but it's a totally different headset. But I was a journalist before I became a fiction writer, and I think uh, journalistic writing has helped me both as a novelist and as a lawyer. So I think you have to be able to tell a story and, and be be economical. Sure, you've got to tell the the who, what, where, when, and why, and how in the first paragraph, in your whatever your column inches are. Correct. That's right. That's right. You yeah. have to get to the point. You have to get to a point right away to grab everyone's attention. Um, your book does exactly that on the first few pages. It really grabbed my attention. And I liked your last one that we talked about, too. So um, congratulations on that. Would you please Thank tell you. listeners where we can find you on the web and in social media? Uh, my website is uh, research.com, R-E-E-C-E-H-I-R-S-C-H.com. And uh, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, you know, all those places. That's all and, part and all of my it, books are on Amazon. All, all of those, um, the social media things, are all part now and parcel of being a small business owner, i.e., a writer, a published author. Isn't that true? Definitely. And uh, you know, during this uh, pandemic, 
you know, it feels, uh, you know, I think a lot of writers, me included, feel a little awkward promoting a book because it seems like a, a pretty small matter in, in a very serious time. But uh, And that's one reason why for uh, the month of May, I'm donating double my royalties for, for the month of May for all of my Thomas and Mercer books to uh, Feeding America and its COVID-19 uh, response fund. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And the fact of the matter is it's not trivial. There's nothing wrong with promoting your books because people are having such a hard time right now. Um, To give them something that pulls them out of their own world, I think, is very, very important. At least I found it to work for me that, you know, and there are days when I read two books and I'm very happy doing that. Um, Reese Hirsch, the, I'm so glad that you came back to talk to me. Thank you so much, and thank you for the signed edition. I shall treasure it. Um, sitting right on my main bookcase in my living room so I can see it all the time. Um, I, I thank hope you so that much for having me. I am thrilled that you came in. Please, next book, can you give us a little idea? Is this going to be another... Um, another FBI book, or are we looking at another standalone? I think this one's going to be a standalone, and it may be a little bit of a change-up for me. Um, sort oh, of my version of a, a locked room mystery, but but not of the traditional sort. So that's all good. I want to say at this time, but uh, hopefully you'll have me back and we can talk about I it. I will. We absolutely will. This is Research. The new book is called Dark Tomorrow. It's available on Amazon. And when bookstores open or when your library back, uh, opens back up, please order it from Reese Hirsch. Thank you so much for being with me today. Uh, Reese, thank you, listeners. And thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Mm-hmm.